The following is a recording from ACF Church in Eagle River, Alaska. If you would like to join us on a Sunday morning, we would love to have you be our guest. Service times are 9 and 11 a.m. We hope you'd consider partnering in the work God is doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you would like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can safely give by texting a donation amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's Word. Well, good morning. My name is Brian, and I'm glad that you're here. I'm one of the pastors here. Welcome to week two of The Code at ACF Church. Uh, just excited to be here with you. Uh, this whole series that we've started into, it's going to get us into Easter. Um, and it just, it stands in this idea that we all have sort of a code that we live by, a way that we make our decisions. And sometimes that code is just driven by our circumstances. Sometimes it's driven by our families, our experiences. And what we want to do as a church and as a community is we want to set before us the vision and the plan to have a code that is greater than what we would have on our own. We want to we look to Scripture, look to God's Word, and see what the code that we should live by looks like. And so we're setting some vision. And if you are wondering kind of what is ACF Church about, what are our values, what do we believe in, uh, this code is kind of laying that out before you. These are the things that we value as a community, the things that we will run everything that we do through this filter, this code. And, and so this week, it's real simple, the code that we're living by is the first and the best. It says, every moment is loaded with divine potential. Therefore, we live lives of passion, commitment, and excellence. And so that's kind of the, that's what we're talking about today, is how do we see the divine potential in every moment that we live in? Um, and, you know, it's, it's funny, as a pastor, people always talk about how, um, I've just been doing this for a little while, but pastors that I know that teach a lot, they talk about how God uh, presents to them opportunities to apply what they're going to be teaching that following week. Um, we've had kind of a weird long week. My father-in-law got diagnosed with kidney cancer this week. And so uh, my wife Amanda has been kind of a wreck emotionally all week long. Um, so he is going for surgery tomorrow morning. Um, just going to remove one of his kidneys. And so, and then just during first service, Amanda went into the ER. So... Um, I, Anyway, if I go run off the stage, it's because I'm going to go check on her. Um, so this is, this is a weird morning, but she has had some heart things going on and some shortness of breath and stuff. And so um, I was kind of like, do I even speak today? Um, I was thinking about t- Josh is like, I got a sermon ready. Um, but uh, anyway, if I go run off the stage, it's because I'm checking on my wife. So um, anyway, it's just been weird. It's a weird morning for me, but I feel like. I feel like it's just, I mean, don't we, don't we live like we all have more time on the clock? You know, don't we honestly just live like this thing's never going to end? And um, the song that you just heard is Mad World. And it just kind of talks about how we just kind of go through the cycle of life, doing what we always do. We've got our routines. We've got these day to day happenings. And, and, And the question that we're all left with is what's the point, you know? Like, is there anything deeper than this? Is there anything greater to live by? Um, So, I mean, I don't know where you're at today, but I believe that God has some amazing things for us and some amazing things for you and that he has a deep 
uh, divine plan for your life and that these ordinary things that you spend your life on, or maybe you look at yourself and you're like, I just don't feel like I have a very significant life. I want to tell you that God wants to use you in powerful ways for his kingdom through very simple things, very ordinary things in your life, if you would just see it. And so um, we're going to pray. And would you pray with me? Just, I don't know, just pray for my wife and my father-in-law tomorrow and we're just going to go to God and go to his word here. Um, Jesus, we just come before you and recognize, God, that we don't have vision many times. That we live as if, uh, as if we've got more time. And God, we just want to come before you and ask you to change our hearts, God, to speak to us through your word. Father, to give us a greater vision for our lives, to see the eternal significance of everything we do, big and small. Father, and help us to see you, God, to see your hand working in our lives, God, and to recognize it and to be moved by you. Father, we love you. We ask that you'd be heavy in this room, speaking to each of our hearts individually. We need this time with you, God. We need to be changed by you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you guys uh, came in, you might have gotten an insert, and you can follow along on that. You can also open up your Bible or your ACF Church app. And all of the notes will be on the app as well. If you want to download that on your, uh, your iPhone or your Android, we've got that online. But uh, follow along with us today. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 10 as we talk today about the first and the best. And I don't know, I would say the world lives by this code. It's something like this. Life is marked by a handful of meaningful experiences separated by long spaces of insignificant daily life. Some moments are extremely important, so do your best when it matters. You know what I mean? It's kind of like you get married, and so you want your wedding to be perfect. Or, you know, maybe it's that first job that you get, so that's got to be really good. Or, you know, or maybe it's, it's graduation. I finally graduated high school or graduated college. Um, or maybe it's, you took a big test, and this is the moment, the defining moment of your life, and so you want to do it really well. You know, maybe it's having kids. You finally have that first child and you think, wow, this is a really big life changing moment. I need to put a ton of energy into this or retirement. Maybe you're nearing retirement age and you just got out of all that work. And you're thinking, yes, now my life can finally begin. I don't have to work anymore. I don't know what it is that you're like, well, this this is when it kind of begins. This is when uh, it really matters. But I want to just want to challenge you to consider that maybe God is working through the small and the mundane things of daily life. I don't know what your life looks like. I kind of it doesn't look much like my Facebook life. You know what I mean? You know, what your Facebook life. It looks like you're living the rock star lifestyle all the time, you know, climbing mountains and eating really good food when we all know that you're just eating, you know, cereal for breakfast and you just, you know, woke up and brushed your teeth and went to work and worked a 40 hour work week. And, you know, you're changing diapers and wiping down tables and you're just it's life. Life's kind of boring sometimes. But maybe there's more to it. Maybe there is potential within these simple, mundane moments. Uh, I don't know about you, but I fall asleep really quickly. I've got this ability to just crash immediately. It drives Amanda crazy, but I can like get in bed and in 30 seconds I am out out like a light done and and so we were flying i was flying to seattle a while back and i got on the airplane and we're everybody's loading and they're putting all their bags in the overhead compartments and i sit down on my seat and i'm kind of tired and so i just sit down i get my bag put where it's supposed to go and i just decide to rest my eyes for a minute you know and so the next thing i know i think we are crashing 
I think I'm going to die. Like things are shaking. The whole thing's moving. I, I wake up and I'm grabbing the guy's arm next to me because I'm freaking out. And I'm just, I'm flipping out. We are, we are crashing into the ground. Well, the reality was we are in Seattle. We just landed. And I had missed the entire flight. I had fallen asleep in Anchorage on the tarmac and I woke up when, which and if you've ever woken up to the wheels hitting the ground, you just feel like you're dying. You feel like this is it. We're going down. This is the end. And uh, it's, it's weird because you just think about all that happened all around you during that time. And I'm, you know, I'm passed out, missing everything that's going on. I was really bummed out because I missed the little ranch flavored snacks. And I just love the little ranch flavored snacks. And so I was really bummed about that. But I missed the entire thing. And and. I don't know. I was kind of like, well, I was good. I, I, I'm glad I missed the whole thing. Flights are kind of boring. You just sit there, maybe make some small talk with the person next to you, try to kill some time. And, and so for me, I was kind of, I was kind of glad that I slept through the whole flight. But I was thinking, I wonder if this is how most of us live our lives. If we could just sleep from big moment to big moment, that'd be good with us. If I could just fall asleep and pass up on all the mundane daily life stuff and just get through to the big important moments, the ones that really matter, and then sleep again, that'd be kind of all right with us. And I just wonder, I wonder if, I wonder if we're sleeping through our lives. What if you were sleeping through the most important moments in your life because you saw them as insignificant? So we're going to be hanging out in 1 Corinthians 10. Uh, you can follow up on the Bible there. You can follow along on the YouVersion Bible app or on the screen behind me. First Corinthians 10. Sometimes we throw out a lot of scriptures on Sunday morning. Sometimes it's really heavy on scripture. Today is going to be a really simple sermon. There is one verse, First Corinthians 10.31, that we're going to spend most of the morning on. And there is so much truth in this one sentence. There's so much to be mined. So much truth to be mined out of this sentence. And so we're going to read this. First Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Do it all. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do everything to the glory of God. So you have to think, is that possible? Is this really even a possibility in my life? Something that's really passion, something that's really popular today is this idea of passion, living a passionate lifestyle. Do you want to live passionately? Anybody? Yes, three of you, sweet. We want to live passionate lifestyles. I want to live passionate. You can go and you can go to life coaches and you can go to seminars that are just completely dedicated to developing your passion, getting passionate about life, you know, feeling passionate about things. And, and passion is simply this. It's a deep belief in the things that you do. It's a deep belief in what, I set, what I'm a part of. And so you have passion for it. And so does this describe your life? Do you have a deep belief in what you do? Do you truly believe in how you spend your time and what you're all about? And you're like, well, I don't know. How do I deeply believe in brushing my teeth in the morning? How do I deeply believe in changing diapers and in taking care of my kids, you know, and just doing the day-to-day stuff? How do I deeply believe in, you know, going to a dead-end job where I'm not appreciated? How, how do you expect me to deeply believe in that? Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. This said, I, I, I've got a, a, a three-year-old, Grayson, and Grayson is passionate about everything. I love it. He is so awesome. 
If you, if you have little kids, you know, little kids are passionate about everything. They believe deeply in what they are doing. You know, like if he wants a cookie and he can't get a cookie, he believes deeply that he needs the cookie and he's going to freak out on you until he gets the cookie and you're going to know that he believes it, you know, or he's upset and he's angry and he's going to believe deeply that you have messed with him and he's not okay with that. And so he's going to get frustrated in that moment. You, the thing about kids is you kind of got to respect them because at least you know how they feel, right? And they, they feel it very strongly. And then we grow up and we lose this ability to be passionate. We lose this ability to truly believe in most of the simple things in life. Sorry, I got a call. I was checking it. Make sure. Make sure my wife's okay. So, anyway, we want to live a passionate life. But life gets hard. There's work involved. And for many of us, work and passion don't mix. You know, like work gets difficult, so we can't live passionate. And so we have this philosophy, this code that we live by, that life is marked by these handful of meaningful moments spaced out by long periods of wasted, pointless time. So when I was in sixth grade, I got assigned this assignment to write a book report because that's what you do in sixth grade. You write a book report. And so um, we also had just gotten at home our first like 286 home computer. Is this old? This makes me feel old. It was like a 286. Remember those? Intel inside is awesome. It's very excited to have that. And so I typed up my first book report, saved it on a floppy disk. Remember those? Uh, they weren't floppy at all. They were the little square, you know, three, three inch. If you're born after, you know, 2000, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But no, we had these little square disks, you know, floppy disks. And so you got to save your homework on that. So I saved my, my book report on there. And so it was, it was pick your own book. And so I went through the house and I wanted to find a book. And I, I found the book with the coolest cover because that's how you pick a book is you find the one that looks the coolest on the cover. And I chose White Fang by Jack London. Which was kind of a heavy read for a sixth grader, but I was like, this will be good and it's pretty thick. So I read the book, wrote a book report, turned it in. It was like a C paper, you know. I mean, I, I did the job. I did what I was asked to do. Well, the teacher gives it back and she writes all kinds of marks all over it and there's red ink everywhere and add more content here and here's your spelling errors and here's what you need to do. Well, seventh grade hits. I go to English class. Guess what the assignment was? Write a book report. Guess what book I used? White thing. Of course I did. So I already got this thing nailed down. So I added all of this content from my teacher the previous year, put it into the book report, turn it in a paper. Amazing. So I get to eighth grade. Guess what the assignment was? Write a book report. Guess what book I used? White thing. I did. So I, I kid you not to my senior year of high school. I never wrote a book report on any other book other than white thing. And by my senior year, this was the best book report on White Fang you have ever seen in your life. It was amazing. It was a life changer. I should, I should find this. I mean, this is, it's to this day, the best book report on White Fang that exists. Because all these teachers had, had just corrected it, corrected it, corrected it. And it had gotten so much better. And so I figured out this loophole to just kind of get by and to figure out a way to just, you know, get what needed to be done, done. And, which... There's some value in that, but I think there's there's something deep to be understood here because I know that I can't give 100 percent of my energy to everything all the time. Like as we grow up, we know that we only have so much time in the day, so much energy. And so we have to focus that on the things that matter. But what happens is we start doing a lot of really important things halfway. 
We start living lives that are not very excellent and not giving our best to the things that are put before us. What if I said that everything you do is full of eternal potential? And here's, here's what I believe. I believe that the church should be the most passionate people on earth. The church should be the most passionate people on earth. Of all people, we should have this conviction that we are here for a short time. And that we're part of this grand narrative of Jesus Christ. His story. We get to be part of His story. And that everything that we do carries with it this eternal weight. And because of that, we can operate in passion and excitement in ways that people who think that, well, I'm just alive till I die and that's it, can't. Because in the end, just pleasing yourself and trying to get the most for yourself doesn't actually give you what you think it will. It doesn't give you the joy you hope that it would. The church should be the most passionate people on earth. And so what does this actually look like for us to be a passionate people who, who believe deeply in what we do? It's, let me kind of paint a word picture for you. If you're kind of an outdoorsman, uh, just imagine, let, let's say that you are walking way out in the woods somewhere. You're out in the bush this time of year and you're walking around this lake. You decide to go across it and you fall in. It, it, it breaks through because it feels like springtime in Alaska in January. And so the ice is only like an inch thick, but you thought it was three feet thick. It, it falls through. You get you get waist deep in water. You're soaking wet. You get up out of the water and you get over to the side of the lake. You can't believe that you did this. Now you're wet and it's cold and you're in the middle of nowhere. What's the first thing you should probably try to do? Light a fire, right? You light a fire. You want to get dry. You want to you want to warm up. And so you're thinking, OK, what am I going to do? And you've got this pack on you. You find a lighter and then you get in your pocket and you, you realize you've got a firecracker left over from uh, the new year that you purchased, you know, safely in Houston and only set off outside of city limits because you're a Christian and you do things like that. So you got this firecracker and you've got a lighter. So now what do you do? You've got an opportunity for heat in your hand. You've got this firecracker. What do you do? Some people will just light it off, you know. At least you get a, get a little bit of warmth in a moment. But if you're a woodsman and you know what to do in the wild, you know that you need to gather wood. You know that you need to run around gathering the driest tinder that you possibly can. It's time to go to work. It's time to run around and find some wood, develop, get some fuel together. Because if, you, if you've ever done this before and lit a fire and been really excited about it and then realize as it's dying down, you've got nothing else to put on the fire. This was your only opportunity and it's dying. Uh, you don't want that to happen. You're cold. You're wet. You need to dry off. So Christians all the time say this. They say, I've lost my fire. I've got no fire left. I was on fire. Now I'm not fire, on fire anymore. We like fire. Christians love songs about fire. Fire's awesome. So we say, there's no fire in my life. I remember, you know, as a teenager, I was really on fire for God. Or, you know, I, I, I went to that church service or that conference or read this book and I was really on fire for God and I've lost my fire. I think the deal is we want all the warmth without the work. I think we want the warmth without the work. I think we just want this moment and, and, and these are these are good moments. We want these moments of heat without the work that it takes to sustain them. And, and let me explain to you this way. There's a, a good friend of mine. He's a high school student. His name's John Randall. And I love hiking Crow Pass with John Randall because John Randall is passionate about firewood. 
He loves firewood. And I know that whenever we get to where we're camping for the evening, that there will be a bonfire. And that John Randall, as soon as he gets there, he will run around finding wood. And we'll all be standing there just talking to each other, waiting around. Where's John? Finding wood. He's running around. And then we'll get the fire going. We're all standing around the fire, you know, trying to stay warm. And John's, what's John doing? He's not around the fire. He's out gathering wood, running around, getting wood, putting wood on the fire. And we're always kind of like, John, come get warm by the fire. You know what he says? I'm plenty warm. You know, I'm plenty warm. I'm, I'm doing the work. And he loves it. He just stokes this thing up and we're all getting warm on his fire. What if I told you that the warmth you need comes through the work? What if, what if I told you that this, this firecracker Christianity wasn't going to sustain you and the true Christianity that you want to experience, the, the true God that you want, you know, exposed in your life is not going to come through just praying that he would give you passion, but that passion is going to come through your obedience to his call on your life. I feel like that's really what God has for us today. What if it's about your 40-hour work week? What if it's about changing diapers in the name of Jesus, you know? What if it's about dealing with a difficult boss and how that changes you? And, And what if it's about the people that you do it all alongside of, you know? What if we're missing our lives? It's just this mad process. We're just wasting our lives away. And don't get me wrong. We need firecracker moments. This church right here, what we're doing right now, this is sort of a firecracker moment. This is sort of an ignition source is what you're at right now. This isn't gathering wood for most of you. Some of you are. Some of you are serving and you're giving of yourself. Some of you come here and you just, in worship, you just pour your heart out to God and worship, you know. Some of you right now, you're taking notes and you're, you're just like, you're letting God speak to you right now. And it's, it's getting into your soul. Others of you, it's like, well, I'm just hoping to get warm around a fire somebody else made for me, you know. I'm hoping to just get a little warm. Maybe it's a mission trip. You know, I love mission trips. You know, I take students on mission trips. Josh takes students on mission trips. We do trips with, with adults to Jordan. And uh, we're doing, we do trips to St. Petersburg, Russia to, to serve people. And, and you go on these trips and somebody sets it all up for you. You show up there and there's people that need food and they literally give you the food to give to the people, you know. And, and there's people who need your help and you show up to this project and they've got all the tools lined up. They got all the supplies you go and you you help these people and you get on fire for God. It's like a firecracker moment. And then and people call it they call it a mountaintop experience, you know, but there's nothing more depressing than the day after you get home from a mission trip. Or the day that you get home, maybe after church, you might go home from church and be really depressed. Because it's like there's sort of this excitement, this energy here as people gather in the name of Jesus and you're surrounded by other people who kind of seem like they're on fire, you know, and you go home and you're like, man, my life looks like it's kind of this little smoldering flame. It's barely going. See, I think we pray for passion. We pray, God, give me passion. We don't want to do the work that it takes to develop our passion and, and any of you who have good like like talents or hobbies or things that you love to be a part of, you know that it took work to get there. Like I'm a musician and I play the guitar and the first time I picked up the guitar, I hated it, you know, because it kills your fingers. If you've ever played a guitar, you have all these lines on your fingers and you have to develop calluses and you just you just hate it. But then there's this moment that you start going through the work and, and that first time that you can play like smoke on the water and you're like, I have achieved guitar godhood. I am like I can play smoke on the water and I am amazing now in that moment. You're, you start getting kind of fueled up. 
and excited and you start getting sort of on fire for for doing more of it. And, And it's work, but it's good work. It's work that's worth it. I think that's the Christian life. You know, you want passion. You want to see God. You're like, God, would you reveal yourself to me? Sometimes I have doubts. Sometimes I wonder if you're really there, if you really care, if you're really here. Maybe I'm just making this all up in my mind. I think God's waiting for you to go and do his work. I think he's waiting for you to be a part of gathering wood. And as you gather wood, what's going to happen is you're going to be warmer than you ever thought. You'll be more on fire than you ever knew you could be. The first and the best. It needs to be a shift in our code. A shift in the way that we see the world. Every moment is loaded with divine potential. Therefore, we live lives of passion, commitment, and excellence. And it's different than living for passion. And that's where I started. People in this world want to go from high to high, from firecracker to firecracker, you know? And you realize at some point, you just it, it never sustains you. It never quenches your thirst. See, living for passion isn't what you need. What you need to do is be a being of worship. And when you do things to the glory of God and you're a being of worship, you know what's going to happen? Passion. Passion happens. Passion flows from your worship. It flows from your worship. Here's what I want to say to you. Here in this room, there's nobody who isn't a worshiper. You are all worshipers. Even if you don't believe in Jesus, you're a worshiper. Worship is simply this, to ascribe worth to something. You're always ascribing worth to something. There are non-passionate worshipers. There are passionate worshipers, but there are no non-worshipers in the room. We're all worshipers. And it's funny, as I was studying this week and I was reading about um, this passage in 1 Corinthians, I was, I was tossed over to how th- there was no word for he- in the Hebrews for spiritual. The Hebrews didn't have a word for spiritual. There was no separation between the spiritual life and my other life. Like we Americans, we kind of have like church. This is where you get spiritual, then you go out of these doors, and then that's the rest of life. And these Hebrew people, they didn't have this separation. They had no term to describe the spiritual life and the non-spiritual life. They had this understanding that they were all just a small piece of this larger thing, and whether they knew who God was or not, they understood there was a God, and there's this spirit within us. We all have a spirit, and this understanding that everything that we do is deeply spiritual, which to me is really convicting because I start to think, well, that means that that thing over here that I think doesn't matter to God matters to God. That thing over here that I think is kind of worthless or something that I've been putting off dealing with in my life, well, that actually matters. That actually bears with it eternal significance. I was studying this this idea this week. Uh, You guys ever heard of the term the butterfly effect? You saw the movie? That's all right. It's called the butterfly effect. It's this, it's this uh, scientific theory by a guy named Edward Lorenz from back in the 60s based on the chaos theory. And uh, I'm just a lowly pastor, but I have the Internet. So I, uh, I found out some stuff about this. And this is, this is actually really cool stuff. It, it says this. The butterfly effect is the theory that states that when a butterfly moves its wings somewhere in the world, it can cause a tornado in another part of the world. This is what the butterfly effect theory is all about. A small, unnoticeable change can result in a big one later on. So here's what this would kind of look like. So 
if I woke up today feeling a little sick and I had a sermon plan and I was ready to come in and I, I'm trying to make the choice. Am I going to go to church and preach or not? And I decided, no, I'm not going to go in. I don't want to puke on the stage. And so I called Pastor Josh. I'm like, Pastor Josh, would you, would you preach for me today? And Josh was like, oh yeah, absolutely. I got this sermon in my back pocket about, you know, uh, global missions and what's so, you know, Matthew 28, we're going to go and be great commission church. We're going to go into the world and preach the good news to all the nations. And you know, it's, it's great. It'll be awesome. I'll, I'll preach that. So I say, awesome, Josh preach. So he gets up here and he just nails it, you know, preaches an awesome sermon. He gets done and he provides an opportunity for people to respond and commit themselves to being a global Christian. Somebody committed to spreading the good news across the world. And so this guy in the back, he stands up and he says, he says, I want to do that. He's deeply affected by the message, deeply changed by God speaking into his life. And so he is he has changed from that moment on because of the sermon. But not only that, his son is sitting next to him. And his son sees his dad stand up and later asks him, what was that all about? And his dad says, well, I want to be a global Christian. And, and the son goes, wow, that's crazy. I, I feel like God's speaking to me that same way, too. And he grows up. And he's deeply changed by that commitment that was made that day. He starts planting churches in Kenya. And all of a sudden, these hundreds of children are, you know, finding Jesus and lives are changed. And the world is deeply affected because I chose to stay in bed on a Sunday morning. It's, it's weird, right? It's that's what the butterfly effect. It's this idea that you could do a small thing here. And it could make a deep eternal impact somewhere else. It's it's really cool to think about it. I mean, to consider the things that you think in your life don't really matter or insignificant. You are affecting people in ways that you can never measure. And it's also kind of scary, right? Because that means, well, what if I miss my my plan? What if I miss God's plan for my life? And I don't think that's that's what God is saying to us here. I don't think he wants us to be afraid of missing the boat. When he says do everything to the glory of God, I think that's just what he means. Man, if you're going to stay in bed today, you better stay in bed for the glory of God. You know, if you're going to go camping this weekend, you better go camping to the glory of God. If you're going to be in church here today, you better do it with eternal significance in mind, with passion and with excellence. Is that how you worship? Is that how you are here? Are you here? You're like, I'm in it. I'm fully engaged with where I am right now. That's what we're being challenged to in First Corinthians 10. So Adriana was my daughter. She's five years old. And uh, she started running races this last year. And my wife, Amanda, she ran uh, for the University of Alabama. And she was a cross-country runner. Just loves, eats, breathes, sleeps, running. Just loves it. And so my daughter, Avery, she started to get into running. And started getting excited about it. So we put her in a little race this last year over at Shugiak High School. And so she took off into the trees with this other group of children and gets around the edge and she's coming back. And it's just it's awesome as a dad to start to see our kids doing this stuff. And she's she's running. She's not first and she's not last. She's just in the group and like her little face is all beat red and she's dripping sweat and her little ponytails going back and forth. And she's just running. And I looked at my wife, Amanda, and she was just glowing with pride. You know, like just that deep sense of gratitude and, and excitement to see her daughter doing what she just was made to do. And I feel like this is all God is looking for us to do is just find what you are made to do and just do it well. And I feel like that pleases God. Like when when you operate in your calling and you're doing it to the glory of God, I feel like he's just beaming with daddy pride, you know. 
just just proud of us for doing what we're called to do. And what's cool about that is is that when Amanda sees her run, it's 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 awesome because it kind of looks like her. You know, and there's nothing cooler than seeing your kids excel at something that you kind of love doing yourself. And I feel like that's what God wants is is when we start to kind of look like him. I just think he beams with pride. He just beams with pride that we're doing things to his glory. And so it kind of begs the question, though, if we're saying do all things, everything you do, whether you eat or drink, whatever it is, do it to the glory of God. Does that mean I can do whatever I want to do? I mean, can I can I literally do anything I want to the glory of God? There's a quote, uh, a very famous C.S. Lewis quote. It says, love God and do as you please. And I remember when I read that when I was first a Christian, I was like, wow, there's a lot of liberty there. And it's also kind of scary to think, is that is that really the Christian life? Can I can I really say that? Just love God and do whatever you want, because it begs that question like, well, if you love God, then you're not going to do everything you want. You're going to do different things out of the love of God. First Corinthians ten twenty three. We're going to step back a little bit. Before this verse, Paul kind of lays a foundation. He's talking to this Corinthian church. And Corinthian, remember, Corinth was like Vegas on steroids. It was crazy. It was like hypersexualized. Everybody's sleeping around. They're worshiping all these idol, idols. It's a pagan culture. It's, it, everybody's, there's, it's just, it is just a crazy city. And so he's trying to get these, these religious people and these, these Jews and these Gentiles all together on the same page. And he says this in verse 23, 23, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. Eat whatever is sold in the meat market without raising any question on the ground of conscience. For the earth is the Lord's in the fullness thereof. It's a great passage, kind of a weird thing about meat in the middle. Um, so let's talk about that. So. One of the things is they were in this pagan culture, they would sacrifice meat to their idols and to their gods. And so for the Jews, this meat would have been considered unclean and you didn't want anything to do with it. And so you've got all these people trying to come together. Some of them are eating this meat that was sacrificed to idols because they're like, hey, dude, it's just meat. It was it's just it was you know cooked over here and it's just meat. There's nothing, you know, right or wrong about meat. And then these other people who are like, no, that is actually brings me back to my pagan culture, my pagan background. I don't want anything to do with that. For me, it's a sinful thing to be even be around it because it draws my heart away from God. And so he's he's challenging them to walk this knife edge of love and of liberty. We want to live. We want to have a liberty grounded in love. That's what we want as a church. We want a liberty grounded in love. Love of God, love of each other. And, and traditionally, Christianity has been looked at like a, like a list of rules. But Christianity isn't just a list of rules. It's teaching you how to love. That's what it's all about. A friend of mine, we were spending some time together, and uh, he's not a Christian. And um, he's one of those guys that makes uh, swear words in art form, you know. Um, and, and so he just loves the F word. And it's just his, it's just every other word's an F word. And he just doesn't know how to say um, so he says the F word. And so he's talking. I've got Cadence, my eight-year-old, with me. And so she's next to me. And he's just like, you know, F and this and F and that. And he's just, you know, he's just kind of a potty mouth, you know, and that's fine. And so he's, and he, all of a sudden it was weird. He, he noticed my daughter. And he's like, oh, dude, 
Oh, I'm so sorry. He's like, I, I don't know what I was thinking. Um, he's like, I, I'll, I won't say that around her. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to cuss around your kid. I, I'm like, I appreciate that. Thanks. That's nice of you, you know. <laughs> but it was a funny experience because he's like, he was convicted in that moment. Like, oh, that's probably not good. And so it wasn't, I wasn't like, hey, dude, um, you know, just stop. My kid's here. And he, he didn't say this. He didn't say, hey, could your daughter get out of here? She's kind of cramping my style. You know, like, could she get out of here? It was literally, he's just like, I just, I, I appreciate that your daughter's here. I want to protect her. I want to watch out for her. So as a believer, what that means is there are times that we might sacrifice our liberty to love someone. There are moments in time we don't do just whatever we want. We do whatever would love people and love God the best. And that always has to be the way that we live. It has to be a filter for everything that we choose. And this is huge. And this is difficult because traditionally what Christians do is they either want to make a lot of rules. Because if we make more rules, we're going to protect ourselves. But Paul's pretty hard on that, and he always leans and tilts the scales towards liberty. And he's like, listen, there is freedom in Christ. So, so it's hard walking this knife edge of either going towards just a ton of rules or that everything is permissive. Like, just do whatever you want. God forgives you. He's gracious. You know, you're a Christian. You've been saved by grace. Whatever. Just do what you want. So I think, here's the deal. I think that Christians need to spend less time looking for laws and more time learning to love. Spend less time looking for law, more time learning to love, learning to love God, looking to love people. And as you as you look at Paul's writing, it's funny. It just seems like he's far less concerned with offending the religious as he is with loving the weak. He just wants to love the weak. He wants to love people around him. If people were offended by what he did, he wasn't so worried about that. He just wanted to make sure he was loving people and he had an answer for everything that he was doing. Is that your life? Are you loving each other? Are you loving the weak? So what if it's all about the work? What if it's all about the process? What if your life is all about the little things that you do? And so this is kind of where it gets exciting. We've launched these things called social groups in our church. If you don't know much about kind of our structure, we've got what are called life groups. And so throughout the week, we have these groups that meet and they get together and they either study God's word or they study, talk about the sermon or they study a book or something. Other groups we have are called social groups. And these are simple, simple groups that are just based around some kind of hobby. We had like a bunch of ladies that get together to sew stuff, which I wasn't there, but a bunch of ladies loved doing that. There was like a fishing group at one point. There was a group that was dedicated um, to poker. There's a poker group. I mean, these are just like things that guys are already doing. And this is so cool because as you look at your life, you're like, man, I just feel like things aren't as significant as they could be. Like, I don't have a purpose the way I'd, I'd want to have a purpose. You can take what you already love and you can use it for the kingdom. And this is where it gets really exciting. Like, take something that you enjoy. You're going to be going cross-country skiing, you know, at some point, maybe. I don't know, when we get some snow. So just email the office and say, hey, once a month, I'm going to be cross-country skiing anyway. I'd like to see if anybody else at the church or in our community wants to come. I'm going to throw it out as a social group and just see what happens. 
And I'm telling you guys, this is where it gets exciting. The things that you do turn into mission. You start seeing lives being transformed and relationships being built in something that otherwise you thought was "Eh, just that thing you did on the side. All of a sudden, what you do has an eternal significance and a divine importance. And and that's exciting. Because then you can buy cool stuff, you know, for your Jeep because it's your Jeeping social group. And uh, at least that's my excuse. So, yeah, so we're talking about doing like a four-wheeling group just once a month. I'm going to be going anyway. I might as well invite some other guys. And what you're going to see is that there are people that would not be caught dead in this room, right? I mean, you got friends that would not be caught dead in this church. They wouldn't go to a church if their life depended on it. But they'd go four-wheeling. They would go sew with you ladies, you know, they would play some poker, they'd do some fly tie-in, whatever it may be, they would do that. And so it's an opportunity to make relationships outside of the church with each other. No agenda, just doing what you love. Isn't that beautiful? I think it's beautiful. I think it's awesome. So amazing opportunities out there. We're going to be relaunching our life groups and social groups here in a couple of weeks. And so if you're interested in that, just email office at acfak.org. Let them know you want to start a group and we will put you out there. And uh, it can be once a month, twice a month, uh, whatever you want to do. So we're going to close out here. I'm going to throw some application at you really fast, okay? Because I'm running out of time. So get your pens ready. We're going to close this out. The Greeks, they had two words for time, chronos and kairos. So chronos is this long length of time. It would be like your entire lifeline from birth to death. That's chronos. And then kairos are these little moments in time throughout your life. These little opportunities throughout your life. And what I believe is that God is trying to break into your life all the time. That God wants to speak to you, to mold you, to change you, to affect your life all the time. We just miss these opportunities. And so I've got six things that I'm going to run through real quick. And this process is super simple. And it comes from a book um, called Building a Discipleship Culture by Mike Breen. You can read that book if you're interested. But he just lays out these six things that are just simple ways for these Kairos moments to create sustainable change in your life, for you to actually be moving towards God and to just be throwing logs on the fire every day. The first one is this, observe. Just simply be an observer. Sometimes you just need to stop and take your own pulse. You know what I mean? I just need to stop. Maybe, maybe you just had a moment where you were really frustrated at work or you had a moment where you were really excited about something or, you know, there's, there's these times during your days where you just need to stop and take your own pulse and check and see what's going on around me. Just kind of take note of your emotions, your thoughts, your reactions. The next thing is to reflect. So you have observed, now it's time to reflect. What does this mean that I was really angry in this moment? What does this mean that, that I was really excited or that something happened in my life? What, what is going on here? And you start thinking about it and being honest. You have to be honest with yourself. The third one is this, discuss. This is where everything kind of breaks down. Is because this, this circle that you guys are looking at here doesn't work unless you're in community. It doesn't work if you're like, yeah, I, I love Jesus, but I'm doing it alone. It was always intended to be done in community with people. Maybe it's with your fly fishing buddies or with your sewing group, you know, whatever it may be. But it's like, okay, I just got to discuss this. I had a rough day. I was really frustrated or something went really wrong at work. So you start talking with people and it starts bringing out your feelings and your emotions and your struggles. 
Number four is simply to plan. I feel like most of us kind of maybe get around the first half of the circle there and it stops and it just stalls out and then we move on to the next Kairos moment, you know? I mean, how many of you just make a plan? Like, what if, what if every day there was opportunity to change your life for the better? Make a plan. Discuss it and then think about how do I do this better? And this plan needs to be wrapped around the kingdom of God. How can I do whatever this is to the glory of God? Like we just read. So you make a plan. Number five is accountability. We hate this one. That means you share the plan with somebody. That means you're like, hey, here's what I'm going to do to try to change this. Uh, That means they're going to ask you about it. That means you've got friends in your life who are in your life who are going to say, hey, how's that going with your your friend or with your wife? You know, how's that going with your schooling? You know, is it it getting better? Are Are you sticking with the plan? And the last one is just action. This is when all of your theories, all of your ideas actually turn into life changes. When you just choose to act, all of your thoughts and intentions just remain in your mind until you actually act on them. And this, you guys might be like, yeah, Brian, that's about the simplest thing I've ever heard. But I'm telling you, if you live a life of this you do this once a day and just walk this process for 15, 20 minutes, God is going to work in you. And you're going to see passion and excitement for him and for deeper things grow in your life in ways that it never would have just by coming to church hoping to get lit up. Let me read this last verse to you. Romans 12. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. This is all God wants, is for you to see yourself as the sacrifice. That you're, this, you're this living, burning sacrifice going out through the entire week. Everything you do can be an act of worship. You can do everything to the glory of God. And I think when we see this, you guys, I think when we catch this, Our lives take on a whole new meaning. All the little things that just drive you crazy about life can have such significance. I don't know if you just, throughout your day, you just need to turn on some music that gets you in the right mood, you know, to to be somebody who's a worshiper. I don't know if you just need to, to be somebody who stops in the morning and just does a little reading and get in God's word for a few minutes. I don't know if it's just just meeting with a friend and praying with them every couple days. I don't know what it is to just reset your life to be a being of worship that walks through every moment seeing the divine significance. So this is my challenge to you, the first and the best this week. First and the best. Every moment is loaded with divine potential. Therefore, we live lives of passion, commitment, and excellence. And if you're here today and you're like, man, Brian, I, I get a sense that I have been living part of a much smaller story, a story that's all about me. And I want to be part of Jesus's narrative, this great story of the kingdom. And if you've never received that and today you're sensing you want to walk into that, then I want to pray with you right now. So can we just bow our heads? Just pray with me this. Jesus, I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness in my life. I get the sense that I've been living for me and I've been living part of a much smaller story. And I've seen my life as meaningless and insignificant. God, I trust that you have a bigger plan for me, a greater plan for the moments of my life, that I could be part of a bigger story. And I just, I want to receive your help today. 
So God, I take your grace. I want to exchange my sin for the righteousness of Christ. I want to trust that you're going to help me and walk this road with me. And I want to have a greater story than something that's just about me. Thank you, God. And for all of us, God, we just come together today pleading with you that you would give us vision. That you'd give us grace when we are selfish and self-centered. God, that you'd help us see beyond ourselves and see the eternal importance and significance of the most ordinary things that we spend so much of our time doing. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your grace. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.